to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here's your host, David Shong. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you by... Ranger Boats, powered by Mercury Marine with Reliant Lithium Batteries, providing the juice. I am David Shong, joined by the AC Insider, Kenneth Grover, with guest number one, the new guy to Angler's Channel, Danny Blanford. Welcome to the show, Danny. Uh, guys, how are you this week so far? Doing good. Trying to rec- recover from uh, from a weekend in Knoxville. Yeah, no doubt. What an awesome weekend. And uh, to get back in the classic get the classic deal, I loved it. Great to see the crowds and had a great time. Looking forward to hearing from the champ himself here. <laughs> so as Danny kind of uh, hinted here, uh, he was guest number one, but for guest number two, uh, many probably didn't think that I could probably put it together and pull it off. But uh, we welcomed the guy who tamed the Tennessee River. Uh, he's a Coastal Del Mar, Hummingbird, Minn Kota, and Mercury Pro and the 2023 Bassmaster Classic champion, Jeff Gustafson. Welcome to the podcast, and congratulations, Jeff. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Um, we're just on the long ride home here now, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was quite a weekend, that's for sure. All right, so as we record this podcast, I know you're making your way back home. Have you crossed the border yet? And if you have, or when you do... How do you declare the classic trophy when you're going through customs? Um, I don't know. We're going to find that out. We're in Wisconsin <laughs> right now. so. Oh, uh, you're, you're, you're not that far from me. I'm, I mean, I'm from Wisconsin. so. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, no, we're just pulling in for gas. And I've actually got a friend that I fished some, a bunch of tournaments against over the years that we're about to meet up with here. And he wanted to see the trophy quick. So, okay. Um, yeah, we're Rice Lake, Wisconsin. So we just got on Highway 53, kind of headed north, and okay. uh, and and yeah, that's where we're at. Okay. All right. So obviously, uh, th- this will be t- we're going to talk about your classic win here. But um, coming into this event, did you consider yourself a strong contender for the win, having won on this venue before? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was when the schedule was announced last year. Um, I was pretty excited for this just because uh, of the you know the success last time, and that went pretty good. And uh, you know, obviously, special. Spe- it's always going to be kind of a special place. So um, just knowing the the smallmouth thing that exists there, um, that was that was that was huge. And going there. I mean, I had no intentions at all to even fish for largemouths. I was going to find smallmouths and, and, you know, it's the classic, you're going to try to, you got to try to win. And, um, I found it was hard fishing. Um, you know, it wasn't, they weren't, they're definitely not everywhere, but I found a couple schools that were, you know, big fish and there was quite a few of them. And, um, the problem is, is with the classic, you know, we practiced the weekend before, and there's, you know, I found all these fish on Sunday and the tournament didn't start till Friday. So I really didn't know if they were still going to be there. And Wednesday we got another sort of official practice day, but it's a short day. It's only like eight to, or, you know, seven thirty to three thirty, just tournament hours. And, um, 
And so I, but I went to Teleco that day and, and just idled and looked around all day and I never really found anything to add to the couple places that I had. But I, I pulled up to the first spot on um, Friday morning and made it happen pretty quick. And then the second day, um, I took two fish off that spot and then caught the other three off my second school that I'd found, which I didn't really have to touch the first day. Um, but they were getting harder to catch. It was hot, getting hot. And there was just like less fish there. Um, and then by day three, there was still fish around. Like I didn't, you know, I, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, why didn't you just go catch some large mouths? And I just really didn't have a good backup plan. And with the calm conditions, I knew that it was going to be tough doing that too. So I stuck with what I was doing, but they were just, there were still some fish around, but they were just getting hard to catch. And, you know, thankfully the tournament ended when it did. Cause if a couple more days and all those fish would have been gone towards the bank probably. And on the other side of that, if it was a couple days earlier, I probably would have, you know, made it, it would have been really easy every day. Probably. Um, there was a bunch of big fish out there, but, uh, but yeah, it, it ended up being a, you know, not exactly how I wanted it to go on Sunday, but the end result was exactly what I wanted. So how much, like, I guess uh, a lot of people would say you fish history, but how much of the, uh, of history came into play? Like you mentioned smallmouth, but was it the same exact spots and how much did you add to that pattern or was when, when it comes to areas? Uh, yeah, no. So in 2021, I caught all the fish in the, in the canal between Teleco and Fort Loudon. And uh, when I got there for practice, it was, I went and looked at that first and there was, it was loaded. I mean, there was more fish in there than there was last time. And I mean, I'd heard that all the local tournaments, a lot of the local tournaments were getting one in there. And, um, and so uh, there was a lot of fish, but they were hard to catch. And then after like the second day of practice, I mean, half our field had looked at it and then there was a big local tournament on Saturday and a bunch of those guys were fishing in there. So like it ended up being uh I, I knew after day two that like, I'm not, you know, no one's going to win the tournament in this canal. There's just too much pressure here. And so I went and just searched and searched and didn't know if I'd find anything. You know, that canal was unique because there was current, there was rock, there was a lot of bait. Sort of had a bunch of ingredients those fish wanted. And um, on day, the day three of practice, I ended up finding those two schools that was, and that's where I caught um, all but one of the fish that I weighed in. I caught one fish in the canal um, on day two. I actually called one uh, keeper that I had that was a real skinny smallmouth. It weighed like two and a half and I ended up catching a three and a half um, and got rid of it. So I needed, you know, that fish was huge actually looking back now. And then on day three, I only caught the two, but they were, they were enough. You kind of mentioned it before, um, but like in most situations when we see like, you know, the best anglers of the world coming into a particular venue and you kind of show them how they, the locals, how to fish those areas or, or find new areas. Um, was that a really big concern for you heading into the, whether it was practice or into the event at all? Yeah. Like after the first couple of days of practice, I was, I was kind of down to be honest, just because I, you know, I, that canal last time, that's where I caught all my fish. They were pretty easy to catch. It was a special week. Um, but I mean, that's the way it goes. So, um, I ended up having to do something different, a little bit different. Um, but still a lot of the, you know, the same program, I mean, the same bait, uh, the same deal with like the fish were kind of hiding in the rocks on the bottom. You had to get a bait down there to see them. You wouldn't just see them idling over them. And, uh, 
and that was, you know, something that I'd learned that, that sort of paid off and maybe, you know, a lot of guys miss, didn't really figure that part out, you know, and that's why maybe not as many guys were able to kind of find the smallmouth and, you know, in Teleco. I mean, if we go back, if we ever get to go back there again, then, I mean, these guys will figure that stuff out now, but it's all good. Um, I've had a good run there and, um, you know, I'm obviously, I'd be happy to go back there anytime, but I know that, uh, it'll, uh, it'll be, it'll be a little bit different. Hey, Jeff, Danny Blanford. Great job, Danny Blanford, the, what you did. I've got, uh, what you were thinking kind of clever to our group. We were talking the water's warming up, you know, the fish are moving shallow, but in your conversation, you talk about them basically being glued to the bottom. And I, I'm kind yeah. of, I'm not a northern angler. I'm not a southern angler. I'm based out of Indiana. And we talked about here, we, we don't see them move up in big waves like that. And the guy just kept saying, you know, they're coming, they're coming. But if your fish are 25 to 20 feet and the shallows are warming up, you think that deep water actually warm, warmed up enough to move them? Or do you think something else? Is it, is it daylight? Is it, you know, why did they? Yeah, I mean, I think they know. And I mean, I, it's just that time of year, the days are getting longer and they just, I guess they know when it's time to start to, to hit the road. And I mean, there was still fish out there, but it just like less than there was when I found it. And, um, it just, I knew that it, that was, you know, it was, it was, it was cold last week when we got there for practice. I mean, it was below freezing in the mornings and, um, and then for the tournament, by the time that day before the tournament, it was in the seventies and it stayed in the seventies sort of right through the event. So it was warming up fast and, I mean, yeah, they know. Um, so just a lot of things kind of collided and, and to make it work out, you know, that, um, and it it just could have been gone the other way, like very easily, but it all worked out. I'm pretty happy, but yeah. Hey guys, this is Kenneth. Um, you know, obviously you, you chose to target the the small mouth. It's worked for you in the past. It worked out this time, but, and some people may not not know if, if they watch, they, they should have realized, you know, Tennessee has an 18 inch minimum on those smallmouth. The good thing about that is if you catch five, your five are going to weigh pretty good. Um, yeah. But there's, all, there's also a chance that you can catch fish, but have a hard time catching one that you can actually keep. How many short yeah. fish did you have to go through uh, over the three days in order to, uh, to get what you needed? Or did you, did you have to, change your technique to try to target the bigger ones and try to stay away from the, the shorts. No, I mean, the, the, I could not find a bait that was better than the bait I used like both times. And I tried, I mean, I tried some other stuff, but that jerk shad was the, was the deal. And it was last time too. And, um, as far as the, you know, I would say two thirds of the fish would be short, maybe, maybe more than that. Cause like on day three, I bet you yeah, I caught six, six to eight, you know, short fish. And a few of them were like 17. So, I mean, I measured them like they're like close, but not quite 18s and you got to throw them back. And it was, it was sad. Cause I'm, yeah, you know, if I could keep these things, I'd be, it would be game over, you know? And, uh, uh, but that, I think the, the other side of that though, is that I think that probably turned people more, some guys away from wanting to fish for smallmouth. Cause there was, you know, that's a, it's, it's a, 
it's an 18 inch is a pretty big one. And you, uh, but if you got five of them, you were the boss. And I mean, I did the first two, each of the first two days and I had the biggest weight each of the first two days. So, um, you know, the game plan was good. And, uh, the, the, for the third and final day, it, you know, I wish I would have had a little bit more of a backup plan or somewhere where I could just go and catch a few keepers, large mounts, but, um, but yeah, it, 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 it worked out and thankfully I had that a pretty good lead and I uh, was able to to hang on, but it was, I mean, it was calm and clear and just, just a tough thing and, and the place had been, you know, fished pretty hard for a few days. So, um, it just was a hard, it was a hard day for everybody on that last day. Well, one of the, one of the new things we got one to see, thanks things. to you is, um, they were actually able to show right. us uh, what you could see on your Mega Live. You had your Mega Live you were using, it, and uh, the coverage that that Bass gave us, we actually could see what you saw on the screen, and it was pretty cool because we've seen a lot of these tournaments for guys using, you know, the live forward facing sonar, and we're just kind of having to guess what's going on. But you were actually yeah, able but, to give us a shot of exactly what you were looking at, uh, what the fish were doing, how they hit your bait, and actually could see the fish, you know, coming to the boat. Um, yeah. explain a little bit how, how things had changed enough to where that live sonar was really a key, uh, for you, for, for this particular tournament. Yeah, no, I couldn't have done what I did without having mega live on the front of the boat. I mean, huge, huge helper there. And, uh, I, you know, I ended up having to catch a lot of my fish. Like I want to just get on top of them and do the moping deal, hang my bait on top of them. But yeah, but they didn't like the boat, especially on the third day when it got calm. And I actually had to pitch my bait out and just reel it over top of the fish or over the rocks, like kind of where I knew where they were. And, uh, and every once in a while you could get one to shoot up and eat it. And, um, I mean, yeah, for everyone that was watching, um, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this, good chance you watched some of the stuff on the weekend and, um, yeah, pretty cool what they can, you know, what they're able to do now, like the bass production people, as far as make, you know, making that happen where, cause the way I was fishing wasn't the most exciting for people to watch at home. And, uh, I, but I love doing it. Um, it was fun for me. It's a cat and mouse game with those small mouths to, to trigger them to bite your bait. But, um, but yeah, I was, it was cool that people could see, get to see what was going on on my, on my screens and sort of how I was doing what I was doing. Hey, Jeff, Danny, again, you know, you mouse game and small mouth are obviously your jam. We know a lot about what you've done uh, at this particular tournament, but tell us a little bit about our new classic champion. I mean, where did it all start for you? I, I had to look up and see where Kenora was because I, I had never looked, right? And yeah. I look at yeah. you and you're surrounded by water, um, but it's got to be a season. Tell us a little bit about how all this got started. How'd you end up being a, a, a classic champ in the United States? Yeah, no, I, uh, I got the bug for, for fishing and tournament fishing, like at, you know, young, like first, my first tournament when I was 10 years old and my dad never bass fish, but he just saw that I loved it. And he just said, okay, well, we'll learn how to bass fish then. And, uh, and that's what we did. And then it took a few years before we started to get competitive, but we got, we have some good tournaments up on Lake of the woods and rainy Lake where I live. And, um, the season's kind of short, but it's, uh, the fishing's really good. And, you know, if you love to do stuff outdoors, it's a great place to live and grow up. And then not only bass, but walleye and, and pike and muskie. And I do a lot of ice fishing. And, uh, so 
just have fished a lot growing up. Like it's, it's what I love to do. And it's given me a lot of opportunities in life. And, um, about 10 years ago, I, I spent six years fishing the FLW tour. And then, uh, this is my fifth season now fishing on the elite series. So, uh, but I got a few breaks, you know, with just, uh, had some friends that and sponsors that helped me out and got me going, uh, to fish FLW and, um, had a, you know, that went, I, you know, I, I had some tough ones, you know, the first few years, but I did well enough to kind of hang in there and, um, pay the bills and, and, and then, uh, you know, getting to move over to the elite series was a big, big jump. And, um, you know, it's just, it's the biggest stage in bass fishing by a mile. And, uh, it was, it was just a great opportunity and I consider myself lucky every day. And, um, I've made a lot of, you know, a lot of good friends through all the fishing activities and, um, through the elite series. And, um, it, it's, it's hard to believe that this happened to me because it's, it's such a legendary tournament and a life-changing event and all that. And, uh, I, you know, I've followed it since I was a little kid and, um, I can't, you know, it, it was my lucky weekend and, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super proud that I got to, to leave Knoxville with that beautiful trophy. And I had a lot of friends and family that came down. I mean, there was, there was so many people there that were, that were part of the weekend with me. And, um, I just, there's a time in my life. That's awesome, man. I'm sure that uh, your folks are proud. You know, we hear one thing that always shows up and so many people, it's somebody took the time to take a kid fishing, right? And somebody took you and now look where you are. But yep. thinking about your parents being there and your friends and family, I'm sure as a parent, they were just as proud of all the people who came across the stage, giving you accolades for being a good dude, right? I mean, as a parent, that would, that would, not only do I have the most talented kid on the fishing circuit, but everybody thinks he's a good dude. So congratulations to you on that. I think that was one thing that really struck, struck out, stuck out to me um, was how many of your competitors had positive to do and how many of them were rooting for you. So congratulations on that, man. Not only a good angler, but a good person. No. Fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It was, uh, yeah, no, that, and that made it special, you know, like I respect all the guys I fish against so much and they're, they're, uh, they're all hard to beat. And, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the most talented guy out there and, but I just don't want to, you know, my big motivation is I just don't want to get a have to get a real job. So it's, uh, figure out how to catch some bass every week and, and hang in there with those guys. And then every once in a while, um, a good opportunity like this one comes along and I'm thankfully I was able to take advantage of it. Yeah. I think you hit on something there. that time. And again, so many guys say that, that, you know, the opportunity to win is a rare thing, right? You can be the best fisherman in the world, but everything still has to tie yeah. and up to provide the opportunity to win. And, and you gotta have that killer instinct to close it. Man. And I, that last day was probably one of the more nail biting things I've seen. So keeping the, keeping your wits about yeah. that deal, that, that speaks to, uh, you know, being prepared for doing this, man. Congratulations. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks very much, guys. So I want to uh, take it back and uh, look at a few key moments uh, during this event here, but uh, I want to start with day one because from the, from, yeah, from the last day of practice, you get a one day break, right? So things, the conditions have totally changed from that last day of practice. Cause I was out on the water too, doing media stuff and it was cold and it was wet, but Tell us what was going through your mind as you're calling your name and number on day one, as like I said, after the conditions changing and everything. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, I was fired up. I was, uh, I was, I, I was fine with the conditions. And I, like I said, I mean, I didn't have another backup plan, so I was going to check my schools a smallmouth out. If they weren't there, then I would have to get creative and go try and figure out where they went. And it might, I might have ran into them. I might not have, and it might have just been an old regular old tournament, and I, you know, didn't catch them very good. But I pulled up to my. I started in the canal and I actually caught a set like a 17 and three quarter. And then I lost, I tried to bow flip a big one and I shouldn't have, uh, and I lost it. And then I ended up going to this spot and I caught my five keepers like pretty quick. I mean, in less than half an hour, I had all five of the fish I had the first day. Um, and then, like I said, just day two, I, I got it done, you know, in the morning, but it took a little bit more work and I knew that it was going to be hard on day three and it, and it was. And, uh, Again, just I didn't have another backup plan, so it was just kind of like figure out how to how to how to catch a couple of these things. And I thought I I mean I did that ride home on day three was horrible. Like I didn't think I was going to have a chance. And um, when I got in, I looked at Bass Track, and my camera guy Brian just said like you uh, you have a chance, dude, and probably the best chance. And I know you it was a brutal day, but uh, but you did you did your job, I think, and. Um, and then it was exciting. You know, I, I still had to wait a couple hours before I actually got to go to the arena. And that was, I mean, that was stressful. Cause you know, you know, bass track is sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not even close. So you just don't know what these other guys have. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, exciting. And then when I heard what I heard, uh, Canterbury and Schmidt weigh in and I, uh, you know, I knew that, uh, I, I, I felt like I pretty good. I was gonna, I was actually gonna, probably get the job done and it, again it would just worked out so did you think with that because you had six pounds going to day three like this under six pound lead so did you did you ever feel that that was enough of a cushion or did you still feel that pressure then no i had tons of pressure because i i mean <laughs> it was a big lead but it wasn't like i could go and zero not catch any fish and still win you know what i mean like it wasn't yeah. like i was 19 pounds ahead of everyone and you know like i don't even have to catch a bass today it wasn't like one of those things so but it was enough with only two fish i guess and um i crazy because i mean the most of the past classics like somebody catches a sack on day three and is the hero and i just assumed like someone's going to be the hero today and it's not going to be me right but <laughs> it, it, it worked out it worked out and we had a good party on sunday night Hey, speaking of hero shots, one thing was pretty cool. Uh, your Coast to Compete and Conserve match. You think you're the first Canadian to make a donation to the uh, Hall of Fame bass fishing organization? Uh, I've actually got to do that a couple times in the past. So oh, I should have uh, done my research. Yeah, I apologize. No. So maybe you're the uh, the highest funding Canadian member, huh? I would. I probably am. I probably am, especially after that was a nice one this weekend. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a, I, um, I think that the hall of fame is an important deal and, um, and obviously like, uh, Costa very generous with a lot of different initiatives for, um, for fishing and bass fishing. And, uh, you know, that's awesome that they're, they support everybody. Well, yeah, when I saw that picture, I thought that was really cool, and it kind of struck me that we've got an international competitor fund, funding something that's pretty American in regards to a bass fishing Hall of Fame, right? And now you've you've etched your own place in it, so and that's awesome. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, the, as far as that goes. I mean, that's yeah. I'm just I just love bass fishing, and um, I I I know as much about the history as just about anybody probably, and uh, it's it's a it's I live it every day. So yeah, that's awesome. That I think that's what the fans want to see, and you know the representatives. So everybody says that you're the guy, and that you'll do a great job, and it seems like it, man, through and through. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you very much. So. Obviously, by winning the, the this year's classic, you get an invite for Tulsa. So, what are your thoughts so far about Tulsa? Or is it still something that's far off, and you're just going to focus uh, uh, on this uh, the rest of this uh, elite series season? Well, I know. I mean, I yeah, like I'll get to Tulsa when I get to Tulsa next year, pretty much. Um, I've been to Grand a couple times, but I you know I don't know that I've ever had like a real great day of fishing there. Um, but it, it certainly is going to take the pressure off for the rest of this year. Um, on the elite series, you know, cause it's every day is stressful. It doesn't matter if you do good or bad the day before. I mean, every day is stressful and cause you don't want to miss the classic. I've been lucky. I've made it the past few years and, um, I couldn't imagine having to sit one out. So I, I, I get a, I get a, I get to kind of fish free the rest of the year. And, um, hopefully I can take advantage of that and have a couple, you know, a few more good events and maybe a few more shots to win. But, um, it's an exciting schedule. I think, um the sabine river on there that one probably will be a toughie for me i've never i don't think i've ever cashed a check at a title place before really and uh you know but the rest of the schedule uh, there we're, we're going to some we got three good smallmouth places later in the summer that are those are all like vacation getting to go to those places for a week and then we're going to lake murray next that sounds like uh it's been going off lots of big largemouth santee's a factory for big largemouths and then lay lakes another new one that i've never been to before sounds like pretty good fishing and should be we should be hitting it at a good time um so yeah it's going to be exciting and and yeah i'm looking forward to to keeping it going here now for sure so dave mercer you know he, he says you know Corey's the first canadian to win an elite series event obviously you won one two years ago uh now you win the bassmaster classic champion with this, what would it take for Corey and Chris to hopefully topple you as the are the no, actually it's four Canadians that fish the tour? How are they? How are they? How are they going to pass you on this Canadian ranking? How they better win a classic, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no, those guys are so good. Like I, I, I don't beat them that often, and um, so this is this is. And I love those guys. We're, we've kind of grown up together and we're good buddies, but, um, but we're competitive and, um, they're, 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 they're the real deal. Like they're hard to beat. And, and, um, so, you know, getting to have this one, one up on them is a, is a pretty big deal for me. And, uh, you know, but they, they're going to win a lot more tournaments down the road here. And they're, like I say, they're the real deal. They're, they're, they're scary on the water and, um, very good at what they do. You guys meet up as youth up there? Say that again. I said, did you guys meet up when you were younger? Like when you're you were coming up with your dad? I mean, you're about the same age, right? So did you cross paths north of the border or is this all started when you came here? Um, yeah, no, it kind of started more like we knew each other from some sports shows and that, but like they live down near Toronto and I'm way up north in Kenora. So we're like 20, 20 plus hours away from each other where we live. So we didn't really grow up fishing against each other till we started fishing FL. They started, I started fishing FLW in 2013 and they started in 2016. So 
Um, but we, you know, we've, we've stayed and traveled together for many years and, uh, um, just, you know, have, have kind of grown up doing this stuff, uh, together and, have, and have had a lot of good times and, you know, but uh, yeah, they're, it's impressive. Like when we go to the great lakes, I mean, they're, they're, I just feel like they're so much better than everybody else and they don't win every time, but they're damn close usually. And, uh, they're like I say, hard to beat. Um, and the best sight fishermen probably on the, on the circuit. I mean, they're as good as anybody in, at least in my opinion. All right. So you, you mentioned it earlier. Um, and you mentioned it on stage, uh, during, uh, after you weighed in and were crowned, but, um, you talked about uh, dreaming about winning the Bassmaster Classic, uh, being a classic champion, but did the image that you had growing up as a child fit what you had actually experienced or was it completely different? Uh, it was better probably like I, it was a blur, man, when everything sort of happened on stage and like, uh, you know, it was just so, it happened so fast and so loud. I wish I could have like taken it in a little bit more, but like it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Like, um, I can't wait. I haven't really got to watch the video back of it or anything yet, but, uh, but just, there's been so many good photos people have sent me and shared with me. And, um, you know, it was awesome that my wife got to be included too. And yeah, it was just, that's the, that's why we, that's why we all fish bass tournaments is to, we dream about that opportunity and that moment. And I'm just really grateful that I got to, it ha it got to happen to me. Awesome. All right. Thanks uh, Gussie for just joining us on this podcast. I know you're very in demand and you've got a, a long way still to go back home, but safe travels and congratulations yeah. on being the 2023 and Canada's first classic champion. Okay. Thank you so much guys. All right. Thank thanks. You. Take care. Yeah. See ya. All right. There you guys have it, folks. Your 2023 Bassmaster Classic champion, Jeff Gustafson. Guys, did you think that he would have won it, I guess, on back-to-back -back on the Tennessee River, you know, going to this well, event? I think I think you and I had the discussion uh, before the classic, um, and I, I think I made the comment that I didn't think it would hold up for three days, mm -hmm. and I was wrong. It wouldn't have held up for four days, but it did hold up for three days. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's kind of what I was thinking too. You know, but I felt like it was going to. I wasn't locked in on him, but I, I felt like the technique would hold. You know, going back to how much faster dirty water warms up versus clear and the depths. I just felt like there was going to be some cold water deeper for a little bit longer, but yeah, to, to Kenneth's point, I don't think he would have survived four days or five days, but man, he got it done in three. Right. And that's what mattered. But, but I think the key in that though, um, you know, I think when we discussed it before the classic, I was thinking it was a very narrow pattern that he only had one mm -hmm. area of the lake that he could do it in. Cause that's what he did last time. He did have to expand on that. He, he, most mm -hmm. of his fish he caught during the classic were in a different area. It was just similar technique. Um, so so he did have to expand on what he did the last time he was there. Oh, no doubt. You know, and I think the thing that really jumps out that probably would be lost on a recreational angler like myself, you know, you go through and grasp something, you don't see anything. And you he, he had the, the in, intuition to say, you know what, I don't trust this graph. I've seen this before. I'm going to drop a bait down there, right? And then they come up. And I think that's next level, professional level stuff. You know, obviously he's encountered that situation before. And uh, to be able to do that and locate those extra schools that made the difference, like you said, Kenneth, that I think that was a big deal because I bet a bunch of people 
idled past those rocks, checked those drops, and they said, you know what, I'm heading to the docks. And he said, I think I'm going to come back and drop a bait and make sure. And look what made the difference. That's great. Especially when there's current, those those fish can hide in those rocks, and it's it's kind of hard to get the separation on the electronics. You, you really do kind of have to fish for them. Yeah, I guess in your in your world with tail races and stuff on all your Alabama lakes, that's probably a pretty common thing, right? Like, I, yes, something I run into very often. But right. you you've probably seen it, right? You know the other the other thing I'll, I'll say is that that's one of the you know the TVA system. Some of the lakes get drawn down in wintertime. Some of them don't. That's a lake that gets drawn in, down in the wintertime. And my experience is those lakes. That, that the water comes up to full pool late, you know, late spring, it tends to kind of slow down the spawn cycle. It's like a lot of the fish in the lake know that that's happening and they wait for that water to come up. Mm-hmm. That may have been a factor that kind of helped help those fish still be out there as well, because we've actually had some warm weather, uh, you know, the whole month of February, the first part of February was unusually warm uh, for our part of the country. So a lot of those fish probably wanted to move up. But they just, man, they, they know their environment so well. They do it every year. They know that the water doesn't come up. It's not ideal conditions. So it kind of slows down that spawn process. You know, I didn't even think about that, Kenneth. But uh, we talk about the temperature and then moving to the banks. But I heard during the event, somebody make the comment that the water came up about a foot. So those deep fish, it may not have necessarily been that uh, the water warmed up a degree down deep. It may have been that there's extra volume of water in the lake, right? Maybe they can sense the water's coming up, so I'm going up. Not necessarily that it changed from 55 to 56 or whatever. It was more about an influx of water in the system. Maybe that's what triggered that move that depleted his area. Right. That that, and I think pressure probably took took hold as well. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, hearing him say that he couldn't get his boat over top of him and he's fishing 28 feet deep, that's kind of crazy to think, right? That 28 feet away, they're still aware. So I didn't get to see Teleco water to see how clear it was, but if a boat in 28 feet of water, I mean, that must be fairly clear or they're more sensitive than we think. We're actually starting to see that a lot with forward-facing sonar. It's more more transducers (laughs) that are pinging and these fish are getting conditioned to that ping. Yeah, they will. It's got to be a high-powered blast, right, to give that kind of resolution. So something with a lateral line that feels and and is aware of its environment, that's got to be like a spotlight getting put on you at night, I would think. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, and that's what I was going to add to with what Ken was saying. Like uh, for 28 foot of water, it it reminds me of uh, last year with some of the guys talking about Oahe where um, it seemed like the fish were – were negatively reacting to that that uh forward facing sonar again we don't i don't know if it's again at a way higher frequency that the fish pick up on it way are more sensitive to it versus your more traditional sonar but uh that's what i thought too i mean i i got a chance to go on wednesday so the final practice day and it it, it rained but it wasn't some parts of the water you know, river was still clear so it's not going to muddy up immediately but um again where i'm from clear Clear water up here is almost crystal clear, and to mm-hmm. me, it, it it some parts look clean, I guess you could say. But um, again, I, I didn't get a chance to see where he uh, where Gussie was fishing to see how if it was quote unquote clear. But um, but yeah, I, it was that extra day that you know it did rain heavily on that Wednesday. But I also did talk to uh, uh, John Cox, but I know he's a, I see a way shallow water fisher guy uh, fisherman and. Uh, I think it was day, t- I forget if it was day you know, day one, I think it was when I talked to him and he talked about in his areas, the water temp jumped about 10 degrees. Wow. So, so yeah, that did, I think that's a big deal for the fish that are sitting there, right? I mean, if, yeah. if your house gets 10 degrees warmer, you know, 
But if your neighbor's house gets 10 degrees warmer, you have no idea. Yeah, that was kind of my line of thinking on, you know, the difference in, in where they were in the lake and stuff. The ones that were sitting there and warming up, I would expect to be more accurate or more accurate, you know, but yeah. that's cool. I mean, yeah. if you got to ride with John and then we see Gussie, you got to see both extremes of. Right? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Right. No, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying you got to spend time with Gussie and then and then we get to listen to or you got to spend time. Cox, and then we get to listen to Gussie and talk about two opposite extremes. I mean, that's the tournament, right? Largemouth yeah. versus smallmouth, and and it looks like a, you know, he won the smallmouth tournament, and that was enough to win the whole thing. Yeah. All right. So with that, we'll come back for our final segment. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop, convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment for the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you got to do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. From dawn to midday to dusk, the sun's rays dance across the water and the sparkling light beckons. The abundant shorelines invite you to play or sail or simply behold. This is where champions fish and families gather to unwind. It's Lake Hartwell and Anderson is the gateway to its wonders. Walk on a pier, float all day, and restore your soul in this beautiful oasis. Visit Anderson, South Carolina's bright spot. Discover more at visitanderson.com and visit lakehartwell.com. Welcome back to the final segment of the show brought to you by Costa Del Mar, makers of the best fishing sunglasses, such as the new Corbino Pro. Uh, Costa reintroduced the popular Corbino frames with the awesome features found on all pro models, such as adjustable nose pieces, sweat channel drains, and improved hydrolyte grips. Make sure you check them out and order yourself a pair at costadelmar.com. Uh, first up, we always go over the a few results of events from this past week or weekend. Uh, first one up, uh, and it kind of got overshadowed with the classic happening in the same state. But uh, we look at the MLF Bass Pro Tour event that took place on both Douglas and Cherokee Lakes, and winning that event with uh, well, I guess two day weights from the knockout and the final day with 35 pounds and six ounces winning that event with was Keith Poche and closely behind him is again I'm, I'm not surprised but uh it was Dakota Ebert he was just a little over a pound behind but that guy's fishing pretty hot uh but he did finish second but congratulations to Keith he I guess the popular talk of the town was where was Keith because he was fishing he missed all of official practice what was it fished on media day so he wasn't a media day and made it to um made it to the first day of the of the classic with no fishing during any of the uh, official practice days at all so i think he told me that he came during 
pre-practice period, which I forget what that exact period is, but was, but he did, I guess, all his homework during that period, or I guess from even 2019. But congratulations to Keith there. Yeah, yeah I, 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 jump I, I, ahead and first out. I mean, bubble boy, right? With no practice. That, that's pretty solid for a classic. I will say this though, because the way he fishes, though, he probably doesn't really need to practice much. He's he's pretty much narrows down a lot of the lake yeah. with what he's searching for. So if he mm-hmm. found the one or two areas that he was looking for, that's that's really all he needed. He really didn't need much time. That's right, off the grid, right? Yep. And then, well, I don't know if where he fished in 2019, because if I remember correctly, day three, Atifo fished one of Keith's spots, and I don't know if that was in a different spot. You know, I'm assuming if I if I remember correctly, it might have been more upriver, but uh, but I do wonder if that's stuff that again, if if with the no no practice during or no fishing during practice period, if he relied a lot on history to help him with some of those spots as well, with at least uh, trying to make his decisions during the official uh, classic days. So, yeah, I remember that there was some talk during that event, uh, something happened coming out of the bathroom or something. Somebody was officially <laughs> been, well, it was still officially a competitor and talked to odd and helped him out. I remember that whole story, David, that's a great point. Yeah that there yeah. was some history there and some knowledge. So, yeah. you know, shout out to aluminum boat guys. When's the last time we could find uh, two classics in a row, one out of aluminum boats and, uh, and Keith went in out of aluminum boat a couple of days earlier. I mean, that's yeah. a little bit of an anomaly, I think. <laughs> well, I know you're partial, so you're a bit biased today. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why I'm bringing it up, you know, team aluminum boat, right? Ten, ten rigs, but uh, I think it was cool. I thought it was great. And, you know, I think it speaks to, um, you know, it's not about the boat, right? I mean, you can technically, if you're an angler, you can get out there and do it. Now, I was going to say, I, if Gussie was in a floating bathtub, as long as he had Mega Live, he was going to win that tournament. <laughs> I agree 100%. It's about the angler. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, next event I have on the list here, the Texas Team Trail. Those guys fished Rayburn. And winning with 21 pounds, 10 ounces was the team of Corey Rambo and Rusty Clark. And... Sitting in second, I'm only bringing this up because you know, I, I, you know, he barely lost it by five ounces. But I don't know this. I think this guy is almost the king of Rayburn. But Derek Mundy and his partner Jason Bonds, they finished in second with 21 pounds and five ounces. But they had big bass with the nine pound six ounce fish. So you know, again, you know, it's like almost every event, Derek Mundy's up there. So but I just threw that out there because I it's having been doing this for the last few years. I always I'm not surprised when I see Derek Mundy fishing uh, Rayburn, especially this uh, early in the year. Well, that that's a good finish, but it also it also kind of explains how special those those monster bags are because yeah. uh, it's been a little while since we've seen a monster bag, so those yeah. things don't just just happen, you know, all the time. Yeah, right, right. All right. Next event up, the ABA AFT Division seventy two, Georgia Central Division. I guess I, don't, I guess that's a lot of divisions there, but they fished out on Saint, uh, Lake Sinclair. And winning that with 25 20, I'm sorry, 24 25 with a 729 big bass was Ryan Thomas. The Extreme Bass Series North River Division was they were out on St. John's this past weekend with and winning that with 26 65. Lee Kitchens and Nick Tillaveris won that event. And the final event I've got on the list, the Carolina Anglers Team Trail Savannah River Division, uh, again, fishing the Savannah River. Winning that event with, I guess, the biggest bag of the uh, events I've got listed for this week with 2781 and a 721 Big Bass, the team of Lamar Finley and Joseph Garnto won that event there. 
And then looking uh, forward to this week here, uh, a few events coming up. We've got the Bassmaster College Series, uh, I guess, sticking with the whole Tennessee thing this week. Uh, They fish Cherokee Lake this weekend, uh, starting on the 31st of March, going through the 1st of April. The Fishers of Men National Team Championship takes place on good old Lake Hartwell. The MLF BFL Okie Division, they'll be fishing on the Arkansas River. The Bass Champs North Division will be fishing on hopefully a big bass factory this week, Lake Fork. And then the MLF BPT guys, they're at it again, and they'll be fishing uh, at Lake Murray. If you did not hear an event or uh, have not submitted any results or calendars to me, feel free to make sure you email them over to dshong, that's D-X-I-O-N-G at anglerschannel.com. And I'll make sure I put them up on our website so that we can share them with our fellow readers as well. And then before we start to wrap things up, just a few notes. And I don't know if anyone else caught anything else, but uh, the first thing um, that I uh, saw that I thought was somewhat notable was um, Mike Iaconelli joins the Bass Mm -hmm. Fishing Hall of Fame this year. So congratulations to Ike. I did see him on Sunday, so I did make sure I stopped by and congratulated him on that so that believe i think that happens in october but uh ike does join uh a select company in the bass fishing hall of fame and then the only other notes that i have so far this week was the Bassmasters Classic set a new attendance record of 163,914 i'm pretty sure the three of us here accounted for at least 100 <laughs> of those uh of that amount there but uh but again again you know I, I forget what the exact number was when hartwell reset that record last year but uh i think it's gonna be a tough number for hartwell to break not that it's gonna be bad but if they do that's gonna be a pretty big uh big task for them um other than that uh we'll dive into you know what thoughts things we observed at the classic here i know danny uh is this is your first classic i believe in quite some time i believe i think when we talked maybe about close to 10 years or so uh maybe in a different capacity too but even then uh your first classic in, uh, in quite some time but what did you think being at this year's classic man i enjoyed it you know i came down as a fan of fishing obviously because i've i've been to a bunch of them i've been to a couple of my family recently but it's the first one i came back to in a work capacity so um, you know, they feel the same. It, the one thing that's interesting to me is, is I was there when the old guard was in charge, right. And the personalities and the, and that kind of thing drew the crowds. And, and I was also there whenever we had a changing of the guard. And, uh, the thing that really resonated with me the most was the classic is still the classic um, even if the competitors change. And to me, that's a testament to Bass's strength. It's a testament to what Ray Scott has done. And, you know, you look at over the years, Bass has changed hands. Bass has had different visions. Bass has been a lot of different things. But, you know, that little fish can fill an expo, right? And, and to see the, the people that come through that expo, in my opinion, have not changed a bit. Um, despite the changing in the industry. And I think that's that was the thing that I really wrote home thinking about is, wow, that's that's alive, it's strong, and and we got a lot of people invested in fishing. And I think that's great, you know, separate from products and baits and stuff like that. I, I was a little more nostalgic than maybe um, some of the other people that drove to Knoxville to, you know, to get lures 
I went for perspective and I drove home feeling really good about what Bass has done and, and um, how engaged the fans are. What a cool deal. You know, speaking yeah. of the fans, it, it's, it, there were a bunch of kids there mm-hmm. and I saw older, a lot of older people too. So it was a, a, you know, lots of times we go to events and, you know, it's kind of a similar crowd throughout, you know, mm-hmm. but the classic man, it just, it just, out everybody and it is a family affair i mean a lot of a lot of families are there the expo's free um you know so it's it's a good place uh to, to bring a family and I, I think a lot of families take advantage of that it was really good to see um you know i was uh i had an opportunity to kind of be behind the stage um day two and a little bit day three so i was able to see where these anglers come in and you know the way this process works these guys get to the coliseum fairly early they got to sit back in line they're you know they're there for a while but but when they get close to where they're staging or coming in um they go through a section there and there are, are high school anglers they all had team jerseys on but they're standing there and they actually kind of wipe down uh the guys the guys boats well beyond that you know they got to interact with a lot of these anglers uh that's also the area where these anglers kind of go ahead and get their fish prepared in their bags and just kind of have them ready so when they're when their boat and, and and truck pull through the Coliseum, they can just kind of grab their bag and go go to the weighing stage. And I saw multiple times where the anglers would get these kids to help them, you know, grab their fish out of the live well, put them in the bags. And man, just to see the excitement on these kids uh, having that opportunity was was incredible. Um, but but it, it you know it kind of goes to the class of the anglers. Uh, these anglers understand it for the most part. Most of them were kind of in those, those same high school kids shoes. You know, they, they love the sport from a young age. They understand, um, you know, what that, what that kid's going through. And, you know, that, that can make a big difference in a kid's life, you know, going through that experience, um, you know, who knows down the road, what, you know, what kind of effect that will have, but it was just, it was great to see. Yeah. Kenneth, that's the part that gives me, but you know, goosebumps and, uh, I had my own little personal story with that. I was, I don't remember day one, day two. Um, I was talking to a notable Ranger pro, kind of waiting my turn, right? Because he and I go way back and I, I wanted to catch up and say hi. And he was tied up with the media guy. So I was waiting in turn. And off out of the corner of my eye, I see this little boy, I'm going to guess 12, 13 years old. And he is standing there vibrating. Like it's, he's having a hard time catching his breath and the kid is shaking because he's going to get the opportunity to meet this individual. And, you know, I've been waiting. This individual's making eye contact. He's like, dude, I can't wait to talk to you. And when, as soon as he came over, I'm like, hey, there's somebody way more important here to talk to than me. This young man over here is vibrating. He needs to talk to you, you know. And, and when that angler spoke to that child, I promise you, it made a difference. And that angler's jaded and seasoned and, and been around this forever. And when the, when when he was done with the kid and he walked away, he looked at me and he said, and that, that right there makes it all worth it, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't a tournament win. It wasn't any of those things. It was a 13-year-old kid that got to meet his hero. And it was funny because he asked, he said, can I get you to sign my hat? He said, absolutely. You know, so he goes and he signs his hat. And, and the kid was so well-mannered and so polite. He said, uh, would it be okay maybe if I got another signature here on my arm, you know, and to see the manners and the the politeness and how happy he walked away from, like, I don't know how you bottle that, but that made a difference in that young man's life. Right. And so 
you know, whether he ends up fishing for the rest of his life or not, I know he left the Bassmaster Classic thrilled, and I know an angler made his day. Um, he also put in a couple of shameless plugs for his YouTube channel, so I think he might have potential as a professional angler one day. <laughs> he has a chance. He has a chance. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you know, th- this; those are examples of why I say all the time the sport of bass fishing is different than every other sport and needs to be different than every other sport. You know, I, I hear a lot of guys say, you know, we need it to grow. We need it to be like golf. We need it to be like basketball, base, whatever they want to compare it to. Fishing, the sport of professional bass fishing is not those sports. Thank goodness it's not mm-hmm. those sports. And, and And I think... Man, to try to chase something something else is is dangerous. Um, you know, the, like I said, it's special. It needs to stay special. And moments like that, you know, explain why that's the case. Yeah, no, great point, Kenneth. Great point. And, and I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I get nostalgic about it. It's special to me. And and seeing that makes me think I'm not crazy, you know, and it, it gives me hope for the youth, too. Like 13 years old, he's hustling, he's working on his YouTube channel. And, you know, it just, I don't know, I thought it was great. And I saw so many families and, you know, I saw people from the Midwest that I know down there. And I know those people that drove five or six hours and they're down there. You know, I fish against some of these guys in tournaments and one of them was down there collecting autographs, right? So he's still a fan. Uh, he comes up here and he'll take my money. He goes to the Bassmasters Classic and he's a fan again, right? So that's the one common denominator in all of it. And um, yeah, to your point, it's not like any other sport. Um, it humbles you more, right? You you can you know you can you can win three in a row and then go out and blank. So bass fishing keeps you humble, and I think that's what helps keep us connected to the fans for sure. Kenneth, you mentioned. Uh... You joined us a little bit later, uh, you, but you joined us Saturday and Sunday. Anything else that you observed or experienced while you were at the Classic? It's been a few years as well, I think, that in terms of you being at a physical uh, Classic. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess Birmingham was the last one that I'd been to. Um, did not, you know, not not really surprised, really. Um, I mean, I'm used to, to seeing good crowds there. The crowd was there. I knew Knoxville would show out the last time they were at Knoxville. You know, the crowds were yep. good. Um, no, it's just, man, it's just, it's just good to see the excitement. I, I, I was able to sit back and observe a lot, you know, like Danny said, I was able to do a lot of that myself. And, um, you know, the, I did tell you, I thought the media room may have been a little bit busier than, than the last one when I was at Birmingham. So mm-hmm. I think there, I think maybe there's a little bit more, um, more excitement in a, in a broader scope. There's there's more people willing to cover it. Um, some of that I think is influx of high school and college anglers. I'm, I, I mm-hmm. saw quite a few uh, young people. I call them young. I guess I guess I'm old, but <laughs> I, I'd say I'd say college or slightly out of college age there. And and I think that's that's the other thing that that spawns out of this is you know it's not just professional fishing it's fishing, but there is an industry attached to it. And a lot of these kids that may start out like those kids washing those boats on high school teams, they may not necessarily be in a Bassmaster Classic as an angler, but there are other avenues. They may work for a, a company that develops baits or a company that sells rods or the main up in media like us. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's so many avenues these these kids have um, and I'm I'm really seeing a lot of that happening already. Yeah, I think the big thing is there, and time will tell. The ones that can catch them won't do what we do, Kenneth. The ones that the ones that can't will, right? And well, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to go out there and just say it quite like that, Danny. But go, you know, thanks for calling us all out on it. Hey, man, I know what I know what I can and what I can't do. I, I was that kid, man, and um, 
you know, dad took my first bass tournament when I was eight years old. And then I always joke with people and it, it, it's totally tongue in cheek, but I always say, I don't think I would have liked fishing if my dad would have just got a babysitter. Right. And so the joke is always, he was too tight to get a babysitter. So I grew up in a bass boat and uh, I've actually talked to him about that because that's came up before. And I'm like, you know, that's not true. Right. And he's like, yeah, I think it's funny. Um, but I did grow up in a bass boat and, and these types of things allow maybe someone who doesn't, know it the way my dad or whoever introduced you guys to fishing knew it, but someone who wants to support the kid who has a dream or a vision or a passion, they can take them there and get them exposure without having to know how to participate. Right. And I think that's important. And, and back to Kenneth's point earlier, when the anglers go out of their way to make those kids feel like part of it, um, that's a powerful, that's, that's a real powerful thing. I mean, you know, we're there looking at the, the latest and greatest new whiz bang gadgets, but the, the kids are there getting ingrained in the culture. And um, I'm sure there was a lot worse places for kids to be on Saturday and Sunday than at that expo, for sure. You know, I, I know when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of um, distractions, uh, you know, that, that a lot of kids today have. Um, yes. W- w- we were always outside doing something anyway. We were, the, we were in a neighbor's front yard, pl- you know, playing football or we were used to spending time outdoors. A lot of kids these days um, don't have those opportunities. Um, right. So I think I think putting a fishing rod in their hand, giving them the opportunities to get outdoors and maybe get away from some of the distractions, our cell phones, our tablets, things that 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 are distracting them. I, I, man, it's an outlet that that can make a huge difference to these kids. Yeah, everybody says kids change these days, but the kids didn't. I don't know that the kids changed. The world did that they live in, and, and I, I've, I've tried to have that conversation with my wife some. And, it's not fair to say, well, back when I was a kid, well, back when you were a kid, Kenneth, or I was a kid, the world was different, right? So, yeah, having good, healthy outlets for them and, and ways for them to use their media to engage in something healthy and, and great like the outdoors, right? I mean, they're, yeah, they're using their phones, but if they're watching fishing videos, uh, you know, I vote for let's let them watch another one. <laughs> so, and, and most cases they will. Right, right, exactly. You know, uh, as far as product, you know, speak to where i'm from the one thing i was excited to see i got a chance to stop by the strike king booth um seeing smaller size chick magnets smaller size hybrid hunters and a little tungsten uh slobber knocker those were things that got me excited i'm a river rat from the midwest and i gotta have little bitty baits to catch fish you know and and those were the things that i took some pictures of and said "Mm -hmm, i need a few of those um the rest of it was technology but as far as baits that's the stuff that caught my eye there was some messy looking stuff that i was excited about uh, who left with tackle in their pockets? Either of you guys? Uh, I left with a little bit, but I, I'll say that I, I'm a little jealous of a couple of items that that, uh, that David left with. Oh, uh, let's hear it, David. What, uh, what you got? What you got? Let's, let's just say you you were enamored with the finesse stuff. I think David and I were enamored with the big stuff. Oh yeah, so he's got like some twelve inch, big twelve inch glide bait or something, doesn't he? Not quite as big, but uh, I I did walk out with a uh, a KGB. Uh, I think it's a nine inch. It's a nine inch legend. So uh, it was a bit unexpected because I knew that uh, again, you know. I'm a big fan of the sport, but definitely a big fan of the, 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 the stuff that catches fishermen more than it does the fish. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, it was kind of an unexpected, uh, like, oh, I knew that this year looking at all the different, uh, all the different, different vendors that were going to be at this sold out expo. I was like, oh, okay. There's a, there, I saw a bigger presence of 
swim bait manufacturers there mm -hmm. and so i knew that it, i didn't go with the intention of buying something but um and when I talk to a lot of us, uh, a few of the people that I know that are, are more diehard swim bait people, one question, especially during the during the pandemic, it seemed like obviously fishing picked up, but some of these niche markets just blew up. And I, I was like, when do all of a sudden do people want to spend so much money on swim baits? So mm -hmm. uh, because because of that growth, I, I came across an opportunity to buy and I was like, I wasn't planning to buy, but if I if I pass this up. I'm not saying I will regret it, but it was one of those, if I pass it up, then I'm just going to miss out on it. So I said, all right, I'll pop down the this chunk of change for it. So I did, I did walk back out. I did walk out with a, a big swim bait. <laughs> did you burn a hundred dollar bill? That's the big question. Almost 200. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you know, you know, David, it's called supply and demand. It's what makes this world go around. It got you. It did. Yeah. It did. <laughs> and it didn't help that, you know, a mutual friend of Kenneth and I, uh, kind of like you know he kind of egged me on and i was like you know he was like you know if you if you don't get it right now it's it's gonna be gone tomorrow i'm like yeah, yeah, he would have right picked there. it up and he's a good sales guy so he did what he had to do did he have the logo on his shirt i think he might oh no I, I don't mean that because i know the guys that put the work in it as a bait guy i know what goes into it and you know yeah. i some um some bluegill swim baits that i almost pulled the trigger on and and they were north of 100 bucks yeah, uh, dude, they would turn in circles, and that was yeah. pretty amazing. And you know, back home we would knock the sides off of it, and and in their case, they hung trebles on it, right? A, yeah, a, a, like a six-inch bluegill or something. It was, a, it was a beautiful. It was art, is what it was. And I'm assuming yeah. if you made that for a swim bait, it's it's artistic in nature. And um, the question is, are you going to throw it? I'm not one to. So I'm just starting to get into swim baits, but you know. Uh, I don't know where you live, Danny, if you have as much toothy critters as I do. Uh, but I've learned that I've, I've lost a bunch of, you know, 20, you know, 15, $20, you know, $25 baits to uh, stuff, uh, to, to a fish. Not because, uh, you know, I, I set the hook on a, a tree pounder, but, you know, again, you know, you get a bite, you go to swing and the line comes back real clean and you know what it was. So, yeah. um, so I've learned, but, you know, I've learned you can't, you know, you can't catch fish without you know throwing that stuff out there and then and, and learning how to whether it's the certain nuances or you know just having you know faith in that bait so you know um yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff does yeah uh like I, I jokingly said that you know it does catch the fisherman more than it does the fish but my intentions are to eventually throw it like i said as i hopefully try to get more to uh swim baits and bigger baits like that but that's the intention though <laughs> and if we'll have to uh we'll have to do an episode the, the day that the bait died we'll have to come back to this at some point right <laughs> there's gonna be a story I, I don't know that i want to hear it i'll be sad <laughs> with him well i'd rather lose it to a fish than i do like like you know first cast uh -huh. and, and, and it breaks off the line i read like I said, i'd rather lose it that that's my my motto is i'd rather lose it to a fish at least i don't care if it's a toothy critter but you know i, I got to a lot of people i'll set the hook in any whatever bites whether it's a carp and you know if i'm throwing a a, a jig out there and a carp bites it i'm setting the hook i don't care what, what it is but oh, in yeah. this case, <laughs> well, no doubt. i mean they say the tug is the drug right so that's what it is whatever's pulling is what uh gets us excited i get it the the only problem I see, David, is, is you're not supposed to just have one of anything. You're always supposed to at hey. least have two of minimum. Mm -hmm. Good I, point, Kenneth. You know, I, I had yeah, I could have bought more than one, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure I probably would have uh, 
been stuck trying to find a job in Knoxville to find a way to pay my way to go back home. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other than that, I guess separate from that, guys, you know, as yeah. far as the segue, one of the things I was excited to meet was my team. You know, I'm the new guy at Angler's mm-hmm. Channel, and uh, great to meet you guys. And we didn't get to spend a ton of time together because everybody had their own assignments and stuff. But uh, everywhere I went, heard good things about Angler's Channel and Team mm-hmm. Angler's Channel. So I'm glad to be joining as the new guy and look forward to working with you guys for sure. Yeah, it was uh, a good but chaotic time to meet because I think even no matter how much it is, like um, I think as a lot of people that uh, all three of us have been involved in the industry for quite a while. I appreciate the two of you guys way more than me, but it's it's a besides a you know gathering of people to observe uh, the sport of fishing on a big grand stage. It's a big reunion for a lot of us with whether it's uh you know friends in the industry anglers stuff like that so uh plans don't always go according to plan <laughs> it's one of those where you know i've had it where okay i'm gonna go somewhere and then you know someone pulls you aside and all of a sudden you're stuck in a 30 not unwanted conversation but now i'm like oh i guess i'm not going to where i was going you but so it's right. one of those things where you know yep time flies and but you know de- definitely glad to have uh met you and uh you know at least made it a, 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 an enjoyable, if not memorable, uh, a classic for the English. Yeah, no, it was a great event, you know, and and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the author, but the best best laid play best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, right? And that's really <laughs> true in in a classic environment because you don't really know, right? And yeah. I tried to go down with no preconceived notions and just soak it in and 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 get a gauge of where we were with our partners and the team and all that and. I told John coming back, I said, you know, I'm really pleased and, and, you know, what you guys have done on, on the Angler's Channel side with the web, the video, the TV program and all that stuff. Um, you know, I've known John for, I kind of looked, I think John and I first met in uh, 2009 hmm. and, and he was out working his Angler's Channel property and doing his thing. He helped stream some events for me in 2009. Uh, and John and I had a funny laugh about that. You know, when John and I started working together, you mentioned me being around longer than you, David. Uh, to tell you what it took, when I first needed to stream weigh-ins, it used to involve a a internet drop on a utility pole out in a parking lot somewhere. And you used to have a, you had to plug in, you know, Cat5, Cat6 cable mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and so that's where I started. Uh streaming away in was a big deal. And all you had to do is get internet to a pole, which usually required you to pay first and last month. So <laughs> when John and I met, I was, I was establishing internet services on telephone poles for two days uh, in order for him to broadcast, you know, about four hours of, of tournament weigh in coverage. Hmm. Now we're on the water with bass. We're seeing Gussie's hummingbird screen live on the screen and man, what a difference. It's awesome. Yep. That's you know, like you said, that's how I guess, well, we know technology moves so fast and now it's just like, you know, everyone's just trying to keep up and, you know, but definitely it's, that's how it is. Even I think like, uh, like I said, it's a reunion of, of like this event. It's a reunion for a lot of people. And sometimes you don't realize how fast that time has gone has or has passed since, you know, mm-hmm. between the last time you met some of these people too. So, but yeah. Yeah. I think we would all enjoy meeting more often until we all had to start showing up and doing the work, right? If this was a <laughs> thing right now, it's, it's, uh, it's classic and ICAST are the two big reunions, right? And yeah. it'd be great to see everybody more often, but I don't know that I'd survive once a quarter of, of that, <laughs> that kind of grind that comes with it. 
I don't know if, if it happened more often, some of those couldn't go quite as hard. That's true. That's true. It, it would be a little bit tamer. Kenneth, are you talking about work or are you talking about extracurricular activities? Uh, so some of those guys are extracurricular or off the charts. Amen. Amen. I don't see how you can do I don't see how some of these guys can party like that and, and fish like that the following day. But as a guy that's been a gypsy in the bass fishing world, I assure you that there are some that can and uh, do fairly often. So props to them, I guess. Uh, I, I'll tell you this. If I ever get to make that stage, uh, I'm going to save my celebrations for afterwards because I couldn't imagine trying to do what they did with a headache, right? Uh, that yep. You or I won't get there very many times, but I'd try to make the most of mine for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then it's about that time in the show where the three of us, we got put this show on the trailer. And we call it a day. So make sure again that you check out EnglishChannel.com for any of the news, you know, stuff that's happening on the industry, events that's coming up. That's EnglishChannel.com. Make sure you uh, go there, check us out there. Uh, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, share us, share our podcast, our website with your friends, family. And besides that, make sure you also support the sponsors that always make us make English Channel happen. And those partners, as always, are Ranger, Mercury, Humminbird, Minn Kota, Strike King and Lose, Trickstep, Reliant Lithium Batteries, Dual Pro Charging Systems, TH Marine, Coastal Sunglasses, Toyota, Visit Anderson, and finally, Sportsman's Warehouse. So with that, as me and Danny and KG check out until our next episode, see you guys. Don't take it personally. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.